Well, take, I'm going to read, we're going to read the first 21 verses, okay? Luke 17, verses 1 to 21. So it's quite a long chunk. Are you ready for this? Sit back, relax, take it easy. Has anybody ordered that cappuccino yet? Of course, yes. Okay, cappuccino with water in it. I know. Okay, Jesus said to his disciples, things that cause people to sin are bound to come. But woe to the person for whom they come. It would be better for him to be thrown into the sea with a millstone round his neck than for him to cause one of these little ones to sin. So, watch yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times comes back to you and says, I repent, forgive him. The apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. Not surprising, really, is it? He replied, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. Suppose one of you had a servant plowing or looking after sheep. Would he say to the servant when he comes from the field, come along now and sit down and eat? Would he not rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready, and wait for me while I eat and drink? And after that, you may eat and drink. Would he, then, would he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. And as he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. And when he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when they saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and praise God, uh, give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go, your faith has made you well. Once having been asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, the kingdom of God does not come with your careful observation, nor will people say, here it is or there it is, because... The kingdom of God is within you. Just point, point to yourself and say, if you're uncomfortable with this, don't, don't say it. But uh, the kingdom of God is within me. So if the kingdom of God is within you, the king is in you, isn't he? Because wherever the kingdom of God is, the king is. So you have the king inside you. You can do all the things the king does. You can do all the things the king commands you to do because you have the king inside you. Christianity is not a list of rules. It's a relationship that you have that you work out with him walking with you. I walk by faith. This mm, by faith. (laughs) By faith. I put my faith trust in you. We walk by faith, don't we? Now, when do you walk by faith? Every day, in every way, in every circumstance. 
Is that just about healing the sick and raising the dead and casting out demons? It's not, is it? It is about all those things, and we're progressively doing more and more of those things. Actually, it's everything you do. You need huge faith in the way that you relate to other people, don't you? I mean, just look at the person you're sitting next to. I need huge faith to relate to them. Well, if you like them and you're close to them, just pick a stranger in the room. I, I hardly know them. That's right. You need faith to relate to them. You need to be trusting in God to, in order to be able to relate to them. Because Jesus is putting you in the same family as those people. Okay? And so we're going to look at Jesus' family advice on how to get on with people who rub you up the wrong way. Oh, Dave, we had that glorious time of worship, and now you've really you kind of brought us down with a bit of a bump. Well, you don't have to come down with a bump because that, you know, because the king is in you. And if you go down, he goes down with you. In order, of course, to bring you back up. But uh, he's there. He doesn't desert you, does he? Yeah, but I don't feel very spiritual today. That's okay. Well, you know, it's nice to feel spiritual. The reality is we don't always feel that spiritual. But the king is always with you. The Holy Spirit is always with you. Just say hi to the Holy Spirit. Hi, Holy Spirit. I like to think of the Holy Spirit like my hand. Just excuse me, I'm going to have a chat with the Holy Spirit. It was a fairly brief word, but... <laughs> yeah? It kind of brings home to me that the Holy Spirit is there. So when I open my Bible, I say, okay, Holy Spirit. I'm kind of looking around as if he's like, you know, distant, but he's, he's here. Holy Spirit, help me to understand the book that you wrote. Yeah? Are you ready? Do you want to just pray that in your head? Because don't rely on me <laughs> to explain this to you. Um, I will do my best, but rely on the Holy Spirit to explain it to you. Holy Spirit, help us to understand your book. Actually, apart from the Holy Spirit, there is, of course, Danny Silk. <laughs> Let this go across the world on the Internet, you know, that I'm just praising my friend, Danny Silk. <coughs> we are touching on a subject this morning which you will need to rush away and buy this book, okay? Keep your love on and come to the conference, the day conference that Danny uh, is running because this, my, my sermon this morning should disturb you. <laughs> well, you know, in a nice kind of way. Um, it should make you think and it should make you think, well, how on earth do I do this? You've given me some tools, David, but I need some more. How do I get on with the people in the church? And how do I get on with people outside? And can I put these principles into action? I'm going to give you five principles the way that Jesus wants us to relate to one another. Okay, you ready for this? Ready for number one? Ready for number one? Okay. Because if you're not writing notes, you know, you just remember this in your head. That's the problem with the communication with people is you have to remember how to do it. So you'll get, you'll, you'll, get, you'll get into a conversation over coffee and something awkward will come up and you think, oh, which of the five points do I need now? Ha! What, why do these preachers keep to three like good preachers? You know, why, why five? Well, if, if you only get one, you'll be a winner this morning. Okay, and, and this is the first one. And it comes from a rather unusual source. So, so here's, and, and they all follow logically. Um, just, just a hermeneutical note about this passage, by the way. 
Uh, what's a hermeneutical note? It's, um, la. No, so it's not one of those. <laughs> Get on with it, Webster. You're running out of time. Um, oh no, we're not. We've got at least 20 minutes. Where am I? Number one. Yes. Jesus said to his disciples, uh, a hermeneutical note. Yeah. Hermeneutics. It's a long word for something that's very simple. It's how we interpret the Bible. Okay, and there are various principles. And some people think that all these little, I mean, did, when we read through that, you know, millstones round the neck, repent and believe, have faith, being servants, and then Jesus heals tens lepers, and then you've got the kingdom of God. How does that all knit together? Come on, Luke took all the bits he couldn't fit in anywhere else, and he put them in chapter 17. Didn't he? It kind of reads a bit like that, doesn't it? Now that faith stuff, that should be in with the miracles, and, and the miracles, that should be somewhere else, and that stuff about repenting and believing, that should be in the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, what was Luke doing? Did he collect up a few fragments and copy and paste them, you know, right, you know, skip a, uh, chapter 16, that's good, 18, that's good, 17's a bit of a mess, but, um, you know, I'm sure somebody will get something from it over the next 2,000 years. <laughs> or, did the Holy Spirit guide Luke as he compiled his gospel, so that we could continuously dig deeper into God's word and find nourishing truths for our lives, no matter kind of, well, no matter the order, you know, even though it doesn't look united. I want to take you through these five points and show you miraculously, I feel like a magician, you know, these will all fit together because they're all about our relationships with one another. But there may be other things in them as well. Okay? God's word is kind of multi-layered like that, isn't it? We need to look at the context of our verses, but there's a sense in which, you know, there are different things come out at different times. And here I am, the teacher, spreading out my treasures before you. You ready for this? Here's the first one then. It's a bit of a, a bit of an interesting one, isn't it? Things, uh, sorry, Jesus said to his disciples, things that cause people to sin are bound to come. Hallelujah! Praise God! Let me hear a hallelujah in the house. Come on. Sins. <laughs> Things that cause people to sin are bound to come. Oh, what a relief. What a relief. I sinned this morning. I hurt somebody. Ah, oh, well, it's bound to come. <laughs> there is something very, uh, no, you know, I'm not saying you enjoy that, by the way. There's something very realistic about the way Jesus speaks about it, isn't it? He's like, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. You know, we are saints, but we do sin. Okay, that doesn't make us sinners, so don't get miserable on me. Right, keep, keep your joy. Okay, but they, they, they will happen. So things that cause people to sin are bound to come, but woe to the person through whom they come. It would be better for him to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied round his neck than for him to cause one of these little ones to sin. So watch yourselves. I'm always intrigued, you know, because the Bible doesn't give you any clue about how Jesus said things. You know, the tone he used. You know, did he, was this matter of fact or was he, you know, I mean, it's heavy stuff, isn't it? It would be better for him to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around his neck than for him to cause one of these little ones to sin. Who are the little ones? You and me. You and me are the little ones. Now, there's a long and complicated argument about who the little ones are. Is it just, is it literally the little ones, as in children, or is it the little ones in disciples? I think, on balance, I would argue that Jesus is talking about all of us here, 
Okay? And that we are little ones. And it's interesting, isn't it? We are powerful people. Just say to yourself, I'm a powerful person. But we're also vulnerable people. We're so vulnerable, we put up defenses. We put up fences, we put up walls, and all the other things that Sozo talks about. <laughs> all right? We put up defenses. Why do we put up defenses? You know, in our attitudes, in our, in, you know, some of you may be thinking, I'm out of here. I'm not staying for coffee today because Dave Webster's just talking about communicating one another. I certainly don't want that happening in my life. There's about, there's a wall. Okay? Somebody touches you on a tender subject. Woo! There's a wall, there's a barrier, there's a fence just going up right there. And Jesus knows you're vulnerable. So he says, anybody that sins against you ought to have, you know, ought to have. He doesn't say ought to have, does he? It would be better for him to be thrown into the sea with a millstone round his neck for wanting him to cause one of these little ones to sin. Anybody been involved in you sinning? doesn't mean you're not responsible, but actually all of us sin. And sometimes it's to do because somebody else has provoked us. Somebody else has drawn us in. Jesus is saying it's better to have a millstone. You know, our joy transmitter, it's not there now, is it? It's, have you tried lifting up? It's a heavy old thing, isn't it? A millstone is a heavy old thing. A millstone wrapped around your neck is going to take you to the bottom of the sea. You ever, what, who's ever wondered what Jesus was talking about in this verse? Anybody? Anybody ever wondered? Sounds so harsh, doesn't it? But Jesus does, he does harsh. Or at least he seems to do harsh. Just turn back to chapter 14. Quick rustle of electronic devices. (laughs) How about this one for a a harsh saying? Luke, uh, Luke 14, 26. If anyone comes to me and does not love, oh, no, sorry, hate his father, and mother, his wife, and his children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot, he cannot be my disciple. In my Bible, those words are in red. They are the words of Jesus. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, this is my inflection, by the way, I'm sure Jesus didn't say it like this, his father and mother, and his, etc., etc. What does Jesus, What is Jesus doing there? Well, in a brief explanation, Jesus is comparing our human emotion, in a sense, with our devotion for Christ. And he's using a a contrast, which would have been usual in his time. So in other words, he's not telling you to hate your mother and father, your wife, your daughter, your children. He's just saying, compared with your devotion to me, your devotion to other things will look like hate. Your love for me should be so passionate. In other words, he's making this stark contrast to make us think Jesus is the most important thing that I need to devote my life to. He is the thing, the thing, he is the person who I would love most. And actually my love for him should put all other loves in the shadow. Yeah? Have you got that? You've probably heard that before. So compare that kind of approach to having the millstone around your neck. What's Jesus saying? He's not so much saying, you know, look out, guys, you're all going to have millstones around it. And in fact, probably all of us have, have done this, haven't they? All of us have sinned against somebody else and caused them, you know, problems. 
So all of us have been in this kind of fearful situation of having a millstone around our neck. But what is Jesus saying? If it is a contrasting type verse, what he's saying is, listen guys, the people that you deal with every day, they're so valuable that if you were to do something against them, you might as well have a millstone around your neck and be cast to the bottom of the sea. It's that important. So when you look at one another, you say, gosh, these people are valuable, highly valuable. And any confrontation, any communication has to start that. Point number one, you are of extreme value. This is why Jesus uses this extreme illustration of the millstone around your neck. Just say to yourself, say to the person next to you, you are extremely valuable. That doesn't really do it. You are, you are extremely, extremely valuable. I don't dare do anything against you because if I do anything against you, I might as well wrap a millstone around my neck and be cast into the sea. Everybody got that one? Just stick your hand up if you got that one. Got the point. Good. That's point number one. So now you've got to stick around for tea and coffee because you've got to spend time with all those valuable people. Okay, But it does change. Now, one of the big problems about us not valuing other people is that actually we don't value ourselves enough. And if you ever catch yourself not valuing somebody else, you might want to do what Jesus says here. So watch yourselves. Interesting, isn't it? That in a, in a verse about relating to other people and guarding against sinning against other people, he says, so watch yourselves. Well, watch yourself. How do you view yourself? Do you really value yourself? You know what I value myself least? About half an, about an hour and a half before I preach on a Sunday morning. <laughs> about an hour and a half before I preach on a Sunday morning, I'm going thinking, I have got nothing to say. Right? I'm not valuing the revelation, even though I thought, well, that's a good idea, Lord. Thank you for giving me that one. And the next day I might think, thank you, Lord. That's just adding to, you know, thank you, Lord, for that, that insight, that revelation. I'm not valuing what I'm receiving. I'm not valuing my ability to communicate that to other people. Right? And if I stay there, <laughs> I don't know what happened. You'd, you'd just get a duff sermon. <laughs> you might think that now. No, no. And... Uh, <laughs> How you value yourself will help determine how you value other people. Do you value yourself? Just say, you're allowed to say this. I mean, you're God's creature, aren't you? You're made by him. You're a royal son and daughter of the king. I value myself. Can we say that together? I value myself. God doesn't make any junk. He only makes good things, doesn't he? He only makes good things. And he's restored you and made you and poured out the Father, Son, Holy Spirit all involved in your life. You're a precious, precious diamond of a person. That was point number one. Point number two. If your brother sins, verse, halfway through verse three. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times in a day and seven times comes back to you and says, I repent, forgive him. Danny Silks writes a lot about this, I think, both in Culture of Honor and Keep Your Love On. These verses don't lend themselves to this immediately when you look at them, but what Jesus is saying is stay connected. 
value the person and value your connection with them. Right? You know when a connection is, is kind of on the cards or, you know, you're fighting for it, when fear comes in. But I don't want to go and talk to them. I know they may be doing something wrong in their lives, but let somebody else do it. Do I value my connection with a person enough to actually go and point out to something in them that might be wrong? A wrong course that they're taking, perhaps. Yes, brother, but Jesus said, you know, take the plank out of your own eye before you try and take the speck out of, your, of the other person's eye. Matthew 7, verses 1 to 5, if you're making notes, or you just put it on your phone. Right? Most, a lot of Christians think that precludes you having anything to say into somebody else's life. But listen to what is Jesus is saying. First, take the plank out of your own eye. Look, examine yourself. If you have either the same faults or some faults, then deal with those first. Take the plank out of your eye. Take the obstacle, the thing that's maybe obscuring your vision or obscuring how you're looking at other people. But once you've taken the plank out of your own eye, which of course you can do, because the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin, we can live you know, with a clear conscience in the righteousness of Christ, we can have that removed, then we can take the speck out of somebody else's eye. That's as much as part of that instruction, isn't it? Jesus presumes that you're going to really work hard at connection, doesn't he? Why? Because he says seven times, if somebody does something against you seven times, and they come back and repent, you forgive them. Has anybody done that recently? Oh, all such nice people, nobody ever sins against you. Yes, brother, but they, they, they haven't truly repented. So I couldn't forgive them. <laughs> Most of us are pretty good at re- forgiving the second time. Are you, like, I, you know, I pride myself. You know, I'm, I'm happy to give people a second chance. By the third time, I'm wondering what is going on here. Why do they keep doing it? They need to have a sozo. <laughs> or counseling. Oh, sorry, sozo people. It's not just counseling, I know. But something. And by the fourth time, I'm thinking, well, look, if I just forgive you, you're just going to go and do it again. So what's the point? In fact, am I actually encouraging you to carry on sinning by forgiving you? (laughs) I'm not sure I've ever got to five and six and seven, let alone 490. How did you get from there? Because Jesus said, forgive 70 times seven. But I want to get there. I want to be in a community of people who just forgive and 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 forgive. Why? Because they keep their connection. That word rebuke is interesting, isn't it? You'll be down there later over coffee rebuking one another. Brother, on David's servant's authority, I have come to rebuke you. Better still, Jesus said it, you know. I rebuke you over something you did the other week. It's a very interesting word, rebuke, because when it kind of translates into the English, it comes out as quite kind of harsh, doesn't it? And maybe the way we've practiced it has been rather kind of legalistic and self-righteous. You know, we're kind of... And and maybe the reason we don't rebuke people is it sounds so heavy going. 
The interesting thing is that this Greek word, which I can't pronounce, but I'll tell you what it means, can mean to restore somebody to honor. Woo! Hey! In fact, literally, to put honor upon them. Here I come. Eric's offended me. I'm coming to rebuke him. No, I'm coming to put honor onto him. Feel good? I don't know what you did, but it was, you know, that was, that was good, wasn't it? The culture of honor is about putting honor onto people. Why? Because if somebody has done something wrong, they've kind of fallen beneath what they should be. But what they did doesn't determine who they are. What they do doesn't make change their being. I'll spare you the song. You know, the doobie-doo, you know. Yeah, okay. Yeah, there it is again, right there. Putting honor on somebody. Isn't that, isn't that sweet? Because if I ever had the opportunity or I was in the situation where Prince William or Prince Harry did something wrong towards me, I could go and restore them to honor. But actually, they, they were princes when they did something wrong, and they're still princes afterwards, aren't they? Just that I'm helping them to come back to where they truly are. Yeah? And you meet princes and princesses every day who you can restore back to the place where they belong. Number one, value people. Number two, keep your connection. Number three... So the apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. He replied, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted. Sorry, Victor. <laughs> and planted in the sea. And it will obey you. What's that doing in there? Why? You need faith, don't you? And actually, in our relationships with people, it's fear, which is the opposite to faith, which is our problem. We're afraid about what the other person will think about us. And maybe if other people, because they're the gossiping type, aren't they? If they put that around, what all those other people in the church might think about me. Who's he, self-righteous humbug? To tear, you know, to tell me that I have done something wrong. (laughs) Well, Jesus told me to do it though. Yeah. So you need faith. You see, fear produces... Here's some, some Fs for you. I like these. I've got these. I've got these first three from Danny's book, but the, the second three are mine. <laughs> fear can produce three reactions in us. Flight. I don't want to have anything to do with this. Please get me out of here. I'm a Christian. Get me out of here. <laughs> um, flight. Fight. Okay, don't mess with me, kid. Uh, I could tell you, oh, Eric, you know, you found something in me. Boy, just give me time. You know, I could find out loads of things about you. Actually, Pete, I mean, well, how long have you got? You know, it's like, (laughs) but you can go, come on. Whoa. I don't know if men are more like that than women. Are you ladies, you know, sort of softer hearted, you know, more vulnerable. Come on. Men, come on. Yeah. Get in there. I'll give you a fight. Don't tell me what to do. Or you can freeze. Fight. Uh, flight. Fright. Fly. Could be fright. There's a fourth one. Um, what's the first one? Thank you. Flight. Fight. Or freeze. I think it's um, 
what's the Mars Venus book called? The uh, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus. Yeah, it talks a lot about men going into their caves. I do this all the time. All right? Carol and I, we don't, you know, something goes wrong and I go into my cave. I'll just, I just won't talk to her. That's easy. And then I have to repent. And she has to forgive me. <laughs> okay? But you could do that, can't you? You decide, I'm just going to opt out. Folks, that's not a, an option. And they're all responses of fear, aren't they? Rather than faith, where I trust that the outcome of my communication, even if I blow it, even if I'm a complete mess about, even if I forget the five points when they eventually get here, you know, all right, I am trying to keep up my connection and it takes faith. And when the, the apostles, you know, the disciples are listening to Jesus saying, forgive, 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 forgive. No wonder they say, give us more faith. We need faith to do this. Of course you do. You need faith to be able to communicate one another again and again and again. But faith is so powerful and effective that if you only have a mustard seed, you can tell a mulberry tree to change, to move, to go. And actually, whatever the barrier is between you and another person can disappear when you exercise faith and when you put your you know, trust in doing things Jesus' way. Last two very quickly. Uh, what have we done? Value people, keep your connection, operate out of faith. I tell you, faith leads to friendship, fellowship, and fruitfulness. You want fruitful relationships with people, you want to make friends, then exercise faith in your relationships with one another. Fourth point, all that stuff about being a servant, just do it. Do it every day. Servants work hard every day, isn't it? I think Danny in his book says, one kind of reconciling conversation can be like a whole session in the gym. It's exhausting, isn't it? Emotionally exhausting. Come to church and be emotionally exhausted. (laughs) Actually, if you go to people and be reconciled, that there is is a wave of love waiting for you. Maybe not straight away, but eventually. Straight away from God, because God will be pleased with you. You'll feel the pleasure of Jesus that Romans 12, verse 8, inasmuch as it depends on me or you, live at peace with one another. Right? Which presupposes that the other person may not respond very well. But how much more joy when they respond the next day or the next week or even the next month. Isn't that joyous? Um, it's not an argument for extending, not giving people forgiveness. Right? But isn't that joyous when you finally, finally, eventually you get back to, together with somebody? And you keep your connection. So just like a servant wouldn't just walk in and say, I've had enough today. And he gets the pot, you know, has to do the washing up and what other tasks is. Actually, you might be called upon to do this at any time. That doesn't mean you can't schedule some special time or busy people. So I'd really like to talk to you about this. Can we do that? That's a commitment you can make, isn't it? But most of the time, let's hang on to it. And what about the 12, the 12 lepers? I've just invented two more. 10 lepers. For me, do you know what that spoke about? A surprising result. A surprising response. It's got nothing directly to do with what Jesus is saying before. In fact, there's an indication, you know, now on his way to Jerusalem, it happens sometimes. But what I love about this story, it's a Samaritan, a hated person, 
a foreigner, he's the one that comes back and says, thank you, Jesus, for healing, you know, the um, healing them. (laughs) So faith says, expects surprising responses. Expect them. What's the first one? Value other people. Second one, keep your connection. Third one, have faith, not fear. Fifth one, uh, third one, fifth, fourth one, just do it all the time. Last one, expect surprising responses. Amen.